not going to uh, linger around so much and become so revelational, but I want to talk about uh, Matthew 6 from 9 to 11, uh, the greatest prayer of Jesus Christ that he taught unto his disciples. Uh, we will know the prayer. And this prayer has been used in different aspects of life. This prayer has been used in institutions. This prayer has been used at schools. This prayer has been used uh, to teach at church level. This prayer has been used even in August houses, in parliaments, by, by ministries, ministers. They have used this prayer, even those that do not subscribe to the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have used this prayer and it is popularly known as the Lord's Prayer. But what I'm going to do uh, this afternoon is I'm going to, to uh, dissect it, glean and take out the mind of God as it is in cups in this scripture. I'm going to try by all means to project the thoughts of God that are hidden in this scripture, the intentions of God that are hidden in this scripture as Jesus Christ was teaching his disciples. So is this starting, if you check Matthew 6 from chapter 1, Jesus Christ is teaching his disciples on how to behave as it relates to prayer and to spirituality. After that, he's teaching them again on how to behave after they've acted as stewards, as managers and custodians of that which Jesus Christ has given unto them. Then you go down uh, chapter five of uh, chapter six uh, and subsection five, he's teaching them now on the precepts and tenets of prayer, that when you pray, don't pray like hypocrites. And the hypocrites that were mentioned, they are Pharisees and Sadducees, and he's saying that enter into a secret place, make your prayer known there. Then subsection six, now he's saying to the disciples and to the people that he was teaching that when you wanna pray, go into the inner house, our God, your Father, who sees in the secret, he will see you and reward you in the secret. Then he goes down. After going down now, we jump from his, uh, the prayer that he's teaching. Uh, he's then now teaching them about, it's 24 now, about the doctrine of memory, that you can never have two masters. You can never save God and Mammoni at the same time. Mammoni who is the God of riches. And on the closing, chapter uh, uh, 34, he's now teaching them on how to behave as it relates to Christianity, that do not be excess for it over what you're going to eat, what you're going to put on, but make your prayer known by God. He's teaching them like that. Then coming back now to verse nine, Jesus Christ is saying to, to his disciples, that uh, pray, therefore, like this. Our Father who is in heaven, how Lord kept holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is where, come on, shout with me. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven, left, remitted, and let go of the debts of and 
have given up resentment against our duties. 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen. Come on, somebody shout amen. Amen. So I'm going to now look into it and break every word that is in that prayer. Then we understand that when Jesus Christ is now dealing with the disciples, he's not only teaching them how to pray, but he wants to conscientize them on an aspect of the kingdom, not about getting things. That's why if you look at this prayer, you'll find out that in this prayer, there are no houses there, there are no jobs there, there are no material things in this prayer. James says that you pray and you don't receive. Why? Because you pray amiss. Praying amiss is praying outside the scriptures or outside the will of God or the mind of God. Because when, when, when you pray, you've got to pray according to the will or the mind of God. So how do I pray according to the will or the mind of God? I can only do that and achieve it if the Holy Spirit is the driver of my prayer. Apostle Paul says that we don't know how to pray as we ought. We don't know how to intercede as we ought. We don't know how to worship as we ought. We don't know how to praise as we ought. But the Holy Spirit makes intercessions for us with the sizes and groanings which are too deep for us. And he knows the mind of God and he prays according to the mind of God, which is God's will. So now Jesus Christ is teaching his disciples that before I go to, to Dimas, I want to teach you to pray a prayer that can give you results. A prayer that is not religious. A systematic prayer that gives results. So Jesus says unto his disciples, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, starting with the word our, our means never come to the Father or to God with your only personal aggrandizement or with a selfishness attitude. So he's teaching them that when you approach God, don't approach God with your own personal agendas, but come with a corporate mind, come with a community mind, come with a family mind. Don't only go there with only your needs, but go there with the needs of all people that are exposed to you, our Father. You could have said when you pray, pray and say, my Father. So that's the first thing. Then when he's saying our, he wants you to establish a relationship first before you receive that which you are supposed to receive. Our Father, that's a relationship. Then he said Father. Father, it means, number one, a governing source. Come on, somebody shout governing source. Or an ultimate sustainer or the full supplier of everything that pertains to spirituality or humanity. So he's saying, number one, come with a corporate mind. Consciously, when you're going to God, don't go there with a self-advertising mind. Don't go there selfishnessly, but go there with a corporate mind that when I pray, I am praying beyond the borders of self. I'm looking at the community where I'm coming from. I'm looking at the family where I'm coming from. I'm looking at the people that I've left at my flat. I'm looking at the people that are within my clique that do not subscribe to God. They're saying that after you come with a corporate mind, 
then address him as your father. Come on, somebody shout, God is my father. God is my father. So he's saying this God is called Abba. In, in, in Hebrew, they used to call him Peter, P-A-T-E, So he's saying that with your source, develop a relationship with him before you start to present all the things that you are presenting. And he's saying, as he is your source, he is the sustainer of your life. He's the redeemer of your life. You heard Job saying that, he though I'm being buckled, let right sender. One thing that I know is my redeemer liveth. Come to God with a mentality that is Abrahamic mentality. Where Abraham went to the land of Moriah, then God said, I want you to scale the mountain that is in Moriah. Then sacrifice your child. And after everything was done, the Bible says, Abraham said, this place will be called Jireh, which means God my provider. So Jesus Christ is teaching the disciples through those lenses, Abrahamic lenses, that when you approach God, approach him as your provider, approach him as the governing source of everything. I'll approach him as the ultimate sustainer and the supplier of everything. That's why Apostle Paul now could go boldly and say, my God will supply all your needs according to his glory and riches in Christ Jesus Christ. He understood that when you're approaching God, as the source, he becomes the supplier of everything that you want. What are you believing God for in this season or in this month of December? God is your supplier and is your sustainer. The one who sustains you is the one who supplies. God did not take you from January up to this present second so that he may doubt you because he's your sustainer. Where God cannot uh, deliver you, he can sustain you. Job could not be delivered from the clutches of the devil. The devil went unto, unto, unto God and said unto God, Satan, that give me Job. Job uh, loves you because of the riches, the hedge that is around him. And God says, fine, touch Job. So God will deliver Job. Why? Because he's the one that given Job to Satan. But God had to sustain Job in that situation. There are situations that God may sometimes not deliver us, not because he's not a deliverer, but he sustains us in that particular situation so that the devil cannot destroy you. And then he said that when you're praying, pray and say, who is in heaven? Come on, somebody shout, my father is in heaven. Why in heaven? Heaven is the economy of the kingdom. We have got the kingdom, which is the country of God. The the economy of this kingdom is called heaven with a locality or geographical location. So Jesus Christ is teaching them and saying, after you develop a relationship with God and say, our father is a relationship, now locate your God. He's found in a geographical place called heaven. He's not found on earth, but there's a geography where you can find God. If a prophetic or an apostolic person, there's always a geography that determines the ministry you're calling and gifting. Every gift is governed by geography. If you're a worshiper, there's geography that governs your worship. So he's saying, saying, who is in heaven? Why heaven? Because number one, it's a perfect and a beautiful place. Heaven. Our source at the word of Christ as humanity is not on earth, our source. That's why I always tell you that 
irregardless of uh, inflation uh, and recession, we are not subjected under the economy that is uh, subjected other people in South Africa. We are not subjected by the currents of South Africa while we are in South Africa. Why? Because we, 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 we belong to a different economy, which is a heavenly economy. We belong to an economy that is ever supplying an economy that is limitless, which is a heavenly economy. Which means when there is global warming around the world, in heaven there is no global warming. If there is depreciation of currencies, in heaven there is no depreciation. So number one, our father is in heaven, which means if my father is in heaven as an inheritor or a beneficiary of the heavenly blessings, I must not be subjected under demonic auspices. Why? Because I know where I'm coming from. I know who I believed. I know the rules that I play under. You don't play with the rules that other, others are playing with. There is a different set of rules that governs my life. Isaac planted in an arid place in Gerard. The Bible says he harvested a hundredfold, but the place was arid, the place was dry, the place was a desert-like. His father Abraham, the man of the promise and covenant, could not survive in Gerard. He had to leave Gerard and go to Egypt. But God said, you are a different generation. I'm going to start with you and show you that there is another economy and there is another world where you can have things without even really working so hard. The Bible says, you planted and harvested. I prophesy in this place that you are going to put one and you get four. Amen. You put two and you get ten. Amen. In this season, you are going to put three and you get thirty. You know, with God, there's no addition, there's multiplication. That's why the Bible, when God is speaking to Adam, He says that I have programmed in your inner system the ability and the tenacity to subdue, to conquer, to replenish, and to multiply. So there is a multiplier effect in your system that if you want a, a, a one thing in your hands, God multiplies that thing into a billion. The world is your oyster, it's in your hand. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men, you and me, but men persist is not. We think the world that we want, I, I know we for a lot of people that are believing God for going to Maldives, going to America, going to Canada, going to different countries. But God is saying in the book of Ecclesiastes that the world that you are praying for, going to the mountain for, is in, in your hand. It's like an oyster. You can do whatever you want with it. Why? Because your Father is in heaven. I, I don't know if I'm talking to somebody in this place. Amen. So which means the supply that is coming from heaven is a limitless supply. When power is coming to life, it's a limitless power. When finances are coming to life, there are limitless finances. Then he said, number four, that say, holy is your name. Come on, somebody shout, holy is your name. Holy. I don't hear you shout like a minute. Let that table hear you. Holy is your name. So when he said, holy is your name, holy means pure. It means perfect. It means different. It means distinctive. So, Jesus Christ is saying now, this guy that I'm introducing you to, who is your father, number one, he's pure. 
Number two is perfect. Number three is distinctive to any other person different from politicians. And he's saying that when you approach him, because he's a distinctive God, you will make your life to be distinguished. You will become a sign and a wonder. Isaiah 18 8 says that as for me and the sons in which God has given unto me, we are for signs and wonders. Come on, somebody shout, I'm for signs and wonders. Why? Because my God is a distinctive God, He's a perfect God, and He's a pure God. Which means signs and wonders they will follow you because of your God. Amen. And it says that holy is your name. Name, why did he not bring name? Because name denotes character. So he's saying that when you're approaching God, you are not only approaching God on the basis of God, but you're approaching his character, you're approaching his personality, his essence and quality. So he's saying that when you're praying to God, he's got different qualities from politicians. He's got a different essence. Our God has got different qualities. He says unto Moses, as you are about to cross over, going to Canaan, lift up your stuff. And the Bible says there was an east wind that came and blew on top of the Red Sea. The Bible says they crossed it to the other side. Why? Because God has got some qualities that even demons and witches don't have. They may gather against you, they may gather against your family, which is the answer diabolical people who do those may be set against your life. But we have got a God who has got a different quality, a God who subjects demons. A God who subjects spiracy for your favor. I don't know if I'm doing something in this place. Amen. A God who said unto Zerubbabel, I see there's a mountain, financial mountain, mental mountain, relationship mountain, material mountain, Zerubbabel. But this mountain is going to be labeled flight, Zerubbabel. Not by mighty, not by power, but by my spirit. Why? Because he's a God of qualities. Amen. He's not a God of quantity, he's a God of qualities. He said unto his servants that you are crying because you are seeing the Syrians coming to attack us. I prophesy and I pray, let your eyes be opened. And the Bible says, when the eyes of the land were opened, he saw an army and a thousand of angels. Why? Because our God is a God of qualities. Amen. You may walk alone in the streets of Pretoria thinking that you are alone. I prophesy that you are getting a God of quality. When you get to an interview, you may not know good English, but because you are carrying a God of quality, the moment you just arrive there, they are going to induct you and they are going to absorb you. Why? Because of His qualities. It's not about you, but it's about God's qualities. Amen. I don't know if I'm talking about this place. Amen. Then He said, number five, when you pray, say, Thy kingdom come. Come on, somebody shout, that kingdom come. What is this kingdom? The kingdom of God is the rata of the spirit, is the domain of the spirit, and is the country of the spirit. So when he's saying, say that kingdom come, he's saying, oh, allow the country, the domain, allow, allow the rata of my kingdom to come and invade your territory. Do you know the kingdom of God does not come and just invade your territory, but it's invited to come to your territory. That's why he's saying, say thy kingdom come. 
Which means God can see that in South Africa, there's a need of my country to interfere to the country of South Africa. There's a need of my domain and domination. But if we don't invite it, it does not come. That's how God operates. He's not like a devil. It's not like demons. That just comes and occupies spaces that they are not invited to. So you invite there's a kingdom in your country, you invite it in your house. If you want to experience the country of God in that country that you are in, you must invite it. That's why I say, thy kingdom come. And when it comes there, it means it's possible for that kingdom to be in your space. So if the kingdom was not possible, you was not going to say, say, thy kingdom come. So when you say come, there's possibility that it can come. Even this morning, that kingdom can come. What is this kingdom? The kingdom is the influence of a king over a territory with citizens manifesting its nature culture and lifestyle. That's the kingdom of God. So what God wants you and me to do after this service is number one, to have a different lifestyle and start to portray, protrude and exude the lifestyle of God's kingdom. Number one, then we must manifest the culture and the nature of the kingdom that you are coming from. So this prayer, it was not just a prayer for food. It was not a prayer for bread. But it was a prayer of allowing, opening up the ladder for the kingdom of God to come and establish itself. Yeah. Then when it does that, then your life will start to take a different shape. Start, start to take a different complexion. Then he says, let it come, which means it's possible it can be manifested in our present day. The kingdom of God, we are not going to wait for the millennial time for it to come. It's possible that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, can be established in our time, we can hold it, we can touch it and experience it. I'm reminded of Abraham, the Bible says that all the metrics and the patriarchs, they were promised by God a good life. Samuel, Deborah, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, but there is one patriarch that stood out, Abraham. The Bible says Abraham believed in hope against hope. God said unto Abraham, I'm going to make you a father to many nations, and I'm going to bless you. And Abraham said, I'm not going to enjoy this in the by and by. Yes, I know some will enjoy that in the by and by. But as for me, I want to experience it right now. And God said, you have, you, you have come to the consciousness of knowing how to bring the kingdom in your dispensation. That's why Abraham never left. The Bible says you are slavish by God. Yet money, yet God, yet influence, yet children. Abraham, what was he refused? It. The Bible says he refused it to see a city from afar. He brought that city into his own civilization by understanding that the kingdom of God can be established in your time and in your civilization. Amen. Then number six, he says, when you pray, say, your will be done. Come on, somebody shout, your will be done. Your will be done. What is a will? A will is a purpose or an original intent. So he's saying that as you pray, I want you to open up a door for my will, my purpose, and original intent to come to pass. God's original purpose, plans, and intents 
must be accomplished here in our time only if we submit under the functions of God's kingdom. There is a challenge with the will. We will, we will. We will of volition. God has given us the will and has made us agents of the will. There is one thing that God does not and cannot control is a will. He has given you will and you can do whatever you want with your will. He can control anything outside your will. Which means God can create you as He has created you. Then He gives you choices. Through your will, you've got the ability to choose either to follow God or not to follow God. And He does not force you. That's, so will is very good and it's very bad at the same time. It's good when you know how to direct your will to the systems of God. But when your will subjects you and directs you away from God, it becomes bad. So God gave us the will. The Bible says, I sent death and life before you, and I'm going to call the heavens and the earth so that they may become witnesses today. I want you to choose life. But the Bible says, all the Israelites, they chose death. They deviated from the orders and wills of God. That's the challenge of the will. Why? Because the will is found in your soul. In your soul, there's your will, there's your emotions, then there's the mind. Three aspects and components that are found in your soul. That's why it's easy for me to sin against God. Why? Because my soul is not controlled by one element. It's controlled by my emotions, then controlled by my will, then controlled by my mind. So God is saying now, when you pray, allow my original intent and purpose to be done in your space. Abraham was given the blueprint of God's original intent and will. Then he saw the blueprints unto the devil. And that blueprint was taken by Jesus Christ. And he gave to the disciples when he said that all authority and power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. But he said unto the disciples, and you and me, in your dispensation, your responsibility is not only to pray, but to bring the will to come into alignment through sacrifices of my original intent. So, whenever you pray, pray that the will of God may be done in your life. Then number seven, he says, when you pray, say, on earth. So the will must be done when? On earth. Why on earth? Earth, it means tierra in Hebrew. So he's saying, let God's will be done where? Come on, somebody shout with me. On earth. Why earth? Because that's the physical planet, the natural creation of God. So he's saying, my will is the one that is supposed to be done on your physical planet or your natural creation. And I want to bring a distinctive and a distinction between the earth and the world. I think we've been using these words interchangeably. When I say the world, I mean the earth. So the earth is the physical planet or the natural creation of God. The world is what we call the cosmos. When we say cosmos is the world, the earth is tierra. Then the world is cosmos. What is this world? The world is any governing power, a authority that is responsible on the earth. That's the world. These are the systems controlling authorities, systems of influence. They, these are the worlds that we are talking about. So when God is saying, pray for my will to come 
till end. He's saying that let my glory become your culture. Come on, somebody shout culture. Then he's saying that when your, my culture becomes your culture, it means now that demons will not have power over your life. The Bible says when a demon is chased out with the person's life, he goes to the dry land, come back looking. If the place is not garnished on the body, it goes back to that arid land, invites more demons. Your situation is worsened, which means if you were broke, you are going to be more broken. If you were defeated, you will be killed. Why? Because the situation is worsened. But God is saying that if my world, my will, is subjected under the earth, which is your body, you will find out that demons are not going to control your life. Then, number eight, he's saying that why if this will should be done, it should be done as it is in heaven. Like it is in heaven. Come on, somebody shout, as it is in heaven. What is this heaven? Heaven is the government. Heaven is the glory. Heaven is the authority, the system of God. Earth, where we are, will be filled with the government of God. When you pray for God's will to come, the earth is now fulfilled with the governments of God, is filled with the values of God, is filled with the morals, the culture, the lifestyle of heaven. So in this prayer, there is no prayer for things that are material. God is trying to conscientize them that there is an issue and there is a reason why the kingdom should be established in your own earth as the kingdom. When that happens, things now start to follow you. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody in this place. Then number nine, D, D. Sit down, you guys. Number nine is saying now, give us today our daily bread. Come on, somebody shout, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. So here, God is not talking about our common and natural bread. It's beyond that. He's talking about a supply. That when you pray now, Pray for a supply that is spiritual and a supply that comes from a different kingdom of God. He's talking, that's why he's saying, give us, not give me. Get it from the top. Our Father, give us. So he's saying when you pray, don't say, give me the bread. It's not about outline. It's not about sustenance. It's about creating a channel of supply that comes from God. So he's saying now, when that, if that channel is going to come, it comes on the basis of a community supply. If you don't pray with the mind of community supply, of family supply, that bread will not come. So he's saying daily bread, why? Because he's saying that every demand that we have daily, I can supply. Which means today, my demand for today is different from tomorrow's demands. And tomorrow's demands are different from next week's demands. So he's saying, okay, Brian, maybe today you are demanding 100 rands. So I'm not going to give you 100 rands for the whole year. I'll give you according to the day. If tomorrow you are going to demand a thousand, give us our bread, our daily bread. I'm going to give you that thousand. If next week you are going to demand 50,000, 
daily I'm gonna give you that. Are you getting now the genesis and the mind of God in this prayer? That when you pray now, pray according to the demands of the day. But the demands are not a subject or a contingent to bread, but a contingent to an opening of a supply. That there's gonna be a supply and says that's going to come to you. It shall a precipitate of a life. He said in the, in the book of uh, Chronicles that if I close the heavens, that there may be no rain, but if my people are called by my name, one of themselves, live their simple acts, seek for my face, I shall hear while I'm in heaven, our Father in heaven, then I'll open up the heavens for them, then I'll allow rain to precipitate unto them, then they are going to abundance, number one, then they will disappoint their country. Then they will start to harvest again. So when you pray now, we are opening the heavens for a supply. That's why God said unto Moses, My children are praying and are crying for bread. They are crying for meat. I'm going to open up a supply. The Bible says there was a supply of bread, manna. And they said, what is this? There was a supply of coals. And God said unto Moses, Tell my people not to keep anything for tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow I'm going to supply again. But because people could not understand how God works and how God functions, God is different from our governments that they supply today, tomorrow they don't supply. They kept because in Egypt, Pharaoh could supply garlic, could supply cucumbers. Another day there was no garlic, there was no cucumber. Another week there was no garlic, there was no cucumber. So they thought that now, since we are under a certain system, subjected under this God, if we don't keep for tomorrow, we are going to die. The Bible says whatever they could keep, it could go bad. Why? Because our God is a God who knows what you need that particular day. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody in this place. You may demand straight right today, but not tomorrow. Tomorrow you need 100 francs. You make money run right tomorrow. Wednesday, you need 5,000 runs. So God is saying that when you pray, pray for things daily, they are going to supply upon your life. Yeah. I can prophesy over your life. Yeah. Let God supply over your life. Yeah. Let God supply over your life. Yeah. Let God, so if I need oxygen, God is going to supply. Yeah. Even if they declare COVID 2023, God is saying that I will be your supplier. That's why you find out that in 2019, 2020, when COVID-19 came, some of us were not deprived of oxygen, while other people had to buy oxygen, some they died trying to suck oxygen. But as we need wine, because God said, I will supply. So it's not about bread, I will supply healing. Supply peace in your life. Our supply providence in your life. Our supply material things in your life. People may leave you. Our supply people that will come to life. Business partners may desert you, but God say, I'll supply. Family members they can leave me, but God say, I'll supply on your knees. So the word bread in Hebrew or in Greek is an idiom. Whenever they speak of the divine supply, they say bread. It's not just an idiom. That's why the Bible says, when Jesus Christ was born in David, it was called as Bethlehem Judah, which means a seed of bread. It doesn't mean that when you enter Bethlehem Judah, you are going to find bread everywhere. 
In Bethlehem, Judah, there were kings, there were princes, there were pastors and apostles. Bread meant kings, bread meant apostles and prophets, bread meant deliverers, bread meant evangelists and teachers. That's why Jesus Christ was born there. The Bible says, Naomi said unto her daughters-in-law, I have heard the news that there is now bread in Bethlehem Judah. But the moment she arrived, she started to work again for bread. Bread, it means the economy is open for all. Jobs are open for all. It means when people are not employed, unemployed. When people are struggling financially, I don't struggle financially. Why? Because my God supplies all my needs. When people are struggling to get purpose in any area and facet of their life, I don't struggle. Get bread. Can I prophesy in your life? I prophesy bread in your family. No, we don't have to think so little. Let's think kingdom. There is bread that is coming in your pocket. We are speaking of billions and millions. We are not talking of this sweet, myself bread. We are talking of the supply of God. So he said unto his disciples, when you pray, know that even when they come to attack you, I'm going to provide for you bread. He said, I am going to leave you as offerings, but I'm going to send the errors for the one of the same kind. When they take you in the courts, don't mind what you're going to say. Why? Because the arrows is going to give you ability. You supply bread with his mind, with his intellectuality, with his intelligence. I prophesy bread of a life. I prophesy bread of a life. And he said, number 10, that when you pray now, say, forgive as our trespass. Come on, somebody shout, forgive as our trespass. I want to show you the secret behind why you are not being blessed by God, even though you confess. I have attended churches whereby before anything, there is a line and you confess. And if you don't confess everything, you cannot skip that line. Even in the word of Christ, we always say, let's confess. But Jesus Christ is saying that when you pray for trespasses, say, forgive our trespasses, not mine. So all these years we've been asking God for forgiveness over my trespasses. But God is saying that when you ask, He asks for a community. Say, God, forgive Pretoria, forgive Sunnyside, forgive South Africa, forgive my president. Who's the president? Forgive my Aqua. Then when that happens, He's saying that I'm going to supply. So the prayer should be should not be a personal prayer. Forgive me from years and years ago. All the vestiges of the past, what was done by my forefathers, by my foremothers, forgive me. If you grew up in ghetto, ghetto, forgive ghetto of God. And God is saying that I will to bless you. The problem is whenever we forgive myself, I will say forgive me. Looking at what I've done last week, looking at the people that I've dated in my life, not knowing that even what is being done in the community where I grew up can affect answers in my life. From today onwards, I have prophesied that nothing is going to stop the supply of God. Nothing is going to stop the move of God in your life. Oh God, forgive us our trespasses. You may be holy, but God is saying that the answer is predicated and trained 
I see on train for the whole community. You put a holy. So I can only get answers when the whole community is holy. So which means we've got a big job, Sister Emma. The whole case at end, this bit must be blessed and saved before God starts to look at you and start to bless things upon life. They make things in this place. So when, which means when we say forgive us, it means release us from the judgments of guilt of. Then you put all the guilt. Yes. Guilt of coming to judgment, forgive me. Yes. Guilty of not being a giver, forgive me. Guilty of being a gossiper, forgive me. So which means you may not be a gossiper, but if you're going to be an with a gossiper, pray for her. Yes. When she's forgiven, the blessings are coming to you. Yes. There's a judgment that follows such people. So our, 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 our forgiveness must be corporate. It mustn't be personal. It must be community forgiveness. So trespassing, what is to trespass? I've seen signposts that are written. Trespassers will be prosecuted. Yes. Which means if you are a trespasser in God's kingdom, you are prosecuted. And it's not the devil that prosecutes you. That kingdom itself prosecutes you. There is a fine to pay. And your fine can be poverty. Some of us, we are paying fines. That's why we are in lack. Yes. We are paying fines. That's why we don't have peace and comfort. When you trespass, you pay a fine. If you trespass intelligence or wisdom, there is a prosecution of ignorance. And that devil will take that as a new way to traffic your life. I don't know if I'm talking about this place. Trespassing is moving into other people's positions or properties. We have moved in other people's properties. How do you move in other people's property? I am a prophet. You are an evangelist. I'm not there or I'm there. You start to prophesy. You are moving in other people's properties. You are not a singer. Then you try to sing. Move in other people's properties. There is a prosecution that comes to you. I don't know if I'm taking some, but in this place. Come on, someone shout, Amen. So, when you pray, say, God, if I have strayed in other people's properties, forgive me. Okay. I paid my fine, oh God. Why? Because now I know. Forgive me, oh God. And if there is a prosecution, you are not going to go anywhere. Don't stray in other people's paths. Don't stray in other people's positions and properties. If I'm not a worshiper, you will not hear me worshiping. Because who prosecutes God and the systems and prosecutes you and the devil prosecutes you because you are strained in other people's paths. The Bible says Job, Job was sacrificing unto God, but was not sacrificing out of faith, was sacrificing out of fear. And the devil said, You are strained in my path. We are the ones that use fear to sacrifice. You are supposed to sacrifice through faith anyway unto God. Satan, except unto God, your main job. He's sacrificing out of fear, not out of faith. He's straight and trespassed in our property. And God's hands were tied. And God said, touch, do whatever you want with the job. And Job prosecuted, was prosecuted by Satan because of strain in other people's properties. You pray to God and say, forgive me. Trespassing is not only when you sin, you dream all night. 
The moment you start to do that which God did not call you to do, that's trespassing. The Bible speaks of Russia that he was one of the best kings to ever rise in Israel. He did a lot of reformations in Israel, but he made one mistake. He entered the temple, saw that the fire was not burning in the temple. I told you that the fire that was burning in the temple was not burning from the natural means. It was burning from God. It was the same fire, and God wanted the same fire. Throughout generations, then he just took a lead stick and a lead box. Then he lit the fire, and God was angry and said, No, you may see the fire burning, but it's not natural. Spiritual fire. And God had to slay Usia. Why? Because he just slain, strayed from being a king to become a priest. Forgive us, oh God. What is sin? Sin is violating the non will of God. When I just violate the non-will of God, that's sin. Then he said that, in our living, forgive us our trespasses as we really forgive them who trespass against us. Come on, somebody shout, as we forgive them, who trespass against us. Which means that we list others for evading our domain of purpose. Where conflicts of peoples collide, which is God is saying that even though there's someone who has invaded your place in the domain of peoples, forgive them so that I forgive you. Don't hold them against the invasion. Where there is a conflict of peoples, God has called you in this particular area, there's that conflict. God is saying that forgive them as I'm going to forgive you. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody in this place. Then he said, lead us not into temptation. Come on, somebody shout, lead us not into temptation. Now he's saying, help us. Just imagine, the whole prayer is lead us. Our Father, it's a corporate prayer. So it means, which means help us to follow your spirits and discernment. Lead us not into temptation. By submitting ourselves to the protection of God is will and authority lead us not into temptation what is temptation temptation is testing the boundaries of god's will and limitations for our lives when we test the boundaries of god's will we now turn to god so we are saying lead us not into that temptation number 13 deliver us from everyone come on somebody shout deliver us from everyone which means Keep us from the path of the influence of the adversary. Keep us from the path of the influence of the adversary. Deliver us from the evil one. We all need to be delivered from the evil one. Who is this evil one? Evil one is the one who will distract you or me from God's purpose and will. If there is anyone who distracts you and me from number one, God's purpose, God's will, that one becomes an evil one. So he's saying now, deliver us from such people because there is a purpose that is predetermined for you and me on this earth that is godly, that is not subjected or pushed or motivated and inspired by what we are going through. I may be working in a factory, why because of what I'm going through in South Africa, I need rent, I need to pay bills. But there's a purpose that receives that, which God has called me for. Which means whatever I'm doing, which is good, is not the right thing. 
according to God. I can be doing a good thing, but pray that God may show you the right thing to do. The temptation is doing good things, but not the right things. And when God is going to bless you, He blesses you on the auspices of the right thing that you have done, not only the good. I don't know if I'm doing something in this place. Do the right thing, not the good thing. Doing the right thing is now keeping God's purpose. Not distracting other people. Submitting to God's spirit. And after I submit to God's spirit, you then now give me victory against the adversary. So when I submit myself under the auspices of God's word, then there's victory against the adversary. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody in this place. Then number 14, he says that for yours is the kingdom. Come on, somebody shout, for yours is the kingdom. For yours is the kingdom. All along he was saying, us, ours, us, ours, us, ours. He then said now, when you are about to finish, I want you to shift and turn the barrel of your shotgun to me. Yes, we are praying about you. Give us the bread. Deliver us from the evil one, our Father Abba. But now I want you to turn the barrel of your shotgun to me. For yours is the kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's not our kingdom. That's why we don't have to treat this gospel as if it's our gospel. That's why myself, myself, I have a problem with people that handle this gospel and this kingdom is their kingdom. I, I, I have a problem with such people. But it belongs to somebody. It belongs to someone. For yours is the kingdom. It's his kingdom. So we cannot bring our own ways of doing things. If it's his kingdom. I don't care who you are. I don't care your position. But the moment you start now to personalize this kingdom, this prayer says, for yours is the kingdom. For yours who? Archbishop Daniel Williams. No. For yours you, Brian. No. God. It's his kingdom. It's his world. It's his culture and lifestyle. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody in this place. His kingdom, all the values are his values. So if people are coming today in a cycle in any church and they start to marry men and men, women and women, that's a problem because it's not a kingdom. And you cannot come from the outside world and tell us what to do. You need to embrace them. If you need a person is a homosexual, embrace them. Is it your kingdom? Is someone's kingdom? Yes. For yours is the kingdom. I don't know if I'm doing something in this place. We cannot embrace what we want because it's not our kingdom. Yes. I don't know if I'm doing something in this place. If you want to marry a man not in this kingdom, because it's not mine, yes. I don't make laws. I don't sit in the castle, but the castle says it's his kingdom. So the Bible, I don't have any problem. If you're my cousin, my sister, a homosexual, I can look at you as my sister. But to bring you in this kingdom and say you are part of the castle, the Bible says those who do such things will not want end up in this kingdom. So you can be a believer, but one thing that I will tell you, you will not end it. Because it is. So within this church, we may have Lisbeth and gays. They can be Christians who pay tithes, but one thing that I will tell you, they will not forget it. Because it's not ours. The Constitution can say yes, but it's not their kingdom. It's God's kingdom. For yours is the kingdom. I don't know if I'm talking about this place. Which means we are not to have any our own government in this kingdom. We are not to have our own authority, our own values, our own moral culture. 
We are not to have our own lifestyle in this kingdom. Our lifestyle must get taken from the template of God's kingdom. What Jesus Christ does not want and abhors, that's what we should abhor as the word of Christ. I believe from God in this place. If this kingdom is not our kingdom, from the beginning we're asking, but he's saying it's my kingdom. So if you want to introduce a system and a value, we ask him. Then number 15, he says, the power and the glory. Come on, somebody shout the power and the glory. The power and the glory. Power means ability, the enabling ability to do things. The Bible, according to the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul says, our God is equal to do exceedingly above, abundantly above what we think or ask for according to the mighty power that operates upon our lives. We have got the power and the ability to do things more than what we think or ask for according to the power. The power that Apostle Paul is talking about is called courtesy, which means power in operation. So there's power in operation that is in me. So according to that power in operation, what is this power is Jesus Christ. So he's saying that power and the glory belongs to you. What is this power? The potential. Potential to do things comes from God. Source of all ability. Every ability that you have, there is a source where it comes from. If you have the ability to play soccer, ability at your workplace, ability to be a good wife or a good man, the source is God. If you have the ability to preach from the sun, you the sick, the ability is God. Then he said the power and the glory comes on a short glory. Wow. The word glory there, it means comfort, heaviness. So he's saying now that heaviness, it belongs to me. Comfort, it means weighty. The weightness, it, it, it belongs to me. Comfort, it means impact. The impact that you want belongs to God. Kabod, it means imprint. He's saying that the imprint that is on our forehead belongs to me. We have the imprint of the Holy Ghost. And Kabod, it means impression. My impressions that are coming from God. When the glory of God, the dust of God is glorious upon my head, then the impression that comes from me, that exudes from me, is called impression. The imprint of my speech, the imprint of my mind becomes God's mind. I will speak like God, then I will think like God because there is an imprint. I carry happiness, I carry weightiness. That's why the Bible says, when Jonah thought of running away from the purposes of God, the Bible says, instead of going to Nineveh, he then went to the sheep and saw a body. Then he boarded the boat. The Bible says, they came at a master street that wanted to inside the boat. And the sailors and the captains, they felt that there was a heaviness within the body that they didn't have and carry when they left the dock. Because whenever, you know, when you are in a boat, there is a line on the boat of the boat, it's called the trimassal line. It's the one that indicates the weightness of the boat. If that line goes under the water, it means whatever you have in the body is too heavy. You take it out. Primal soul. Then, when they left the dock, the primal soul was above the waters. 
But when they kept the men who were sleeping in God in the wickedness of God, the primary soul sank. And they said, No, there's a problem in this boat. And the Bible said they took things outside the boat, but the boat and the primary soul were still under the water. Until Jonah said, It's me, I killed the God, God of God. When you could look at the stage of Jonah, you would not think that Jonah is that waiting. It's not about the stature, it's not about the height, it's about what you are carrying. You are carrying the weight of God. That's why when we look at demons, you say, Come out. The reason why it's just it's checking out is not because of your utterance, it's about the weightiness that you are carrying. You get into a place, demons start to check out. Why? Because of the weightiness that you have. You get into a particular place where people were speaking against you, gossiping you. Two more people were just put you aside and say, man, before you are like this and this, they were speaking bad against your life. Why? Because there is weightiness. They can't keep what is in their hearts. That weightiness will push the gossip and they'll speak it. I can put the side of my life. Amen. They can black against you. Some of us, there are people that are planning that you're not going to enjoy Christmas. But because of God's weightiness, I see someone calling you and say that family members, including uncle, they want someone with your name. They said you must not cross over to 2024. But I just thought I must tell you, nobody is waiting of God. It will push out everything and they'll speak out. If you see people planning against you and nobody tells you about their plan, nobody is not have to wait for God. You don't have the place of God. So he's saying unto his disciples in closing, when pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, how God is thy name. That kingdom come, the Lord be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Perpetuity. And he said to the disciples, when you are closing, don't forget forever and ever. Which means my kingdom does not end. It started before the beginning began. It was there. And it will not end in the ending of the ending. Why? Because my kingdom stretches forth. There is perpetuity in God's kingdom. We have the head of Mahakadavi's kingdom. It started and it ended. We heard about Nero's kingdom. It started and it ended. We heard about Alexandra the Great. We heard about Robert Gabrongale. For years he was in power. It started and it ended. But God said, when you pray and you approach my kingdom, it's forever and ever. You may die today, but my kingdom will go. You may stop worshiping me, but my kingdom will go. You may stop coming to church, but my kingdom will go. So know that forever and ever. The devil did not start in the beginning. He started in the middle of the beginning. So he does not have power over your life. The Bible says in the second millennium, when Jesus Christ is going to come, that devil will be captured and be thrown into the lake of fire. He's going to end. But he said, my kingdom will never end. Can you stand your feet right now? We belong to the kingdom of God. A powerful kingdom. Yes, I'm going to pray. I want you to pray with this understanding.
a consciousness that this prayer is the prayer of a kingdom. God is teaching us to understand the kingdom. How to establish this kingdom? It's not only the Lord's prayer, it's called the kingdom's prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer, it's the kingdom's prayer. Those people that are teaching our children to pray and preach, they say it's Lord's prayer, it's cheap and it's easy. They don't know what they are doing. They are creating and establishing God's kingdom. Let them do it in their ignorance. Because God always hides himself in simplicity. There are places where you think there is no God there. But this prayer is one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible. Yes, we love Isaiah 10, 27. For we shall come into us in that year. That is made and shall be lifted up our shoulders. And love shall be broken. But this prayer is off. I know that we love this prayer that was made by Jabez. The Bible says, and say it unto God, if thou can just increase me, stretch my borders. Yes, we have it, but this one is powerful. Amen. We love the prayer in Chronicles, which says, if I close the heavens, and I don't allow the rays to come, but if my people, who are called by the name, will humble themselves and leave their sinful acts, I shall read their prayer, and I shall allow their country to their fruitfulness again. But this prayer, is the most powerful prayer. Come on, somebody. That's the only prayer that carries the kingdom mind and kingdom agenda. Come on, somebody. Say, I did when I declare. As I pray and I prophesy, our Father, who art in heaven, how long is thy name? The kingdom come. That will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily prayers. And forgive me. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver my family from evil. Deliver my business from evil. Deliver my destiny from evil. For that is the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to you, O God. This kingdom belongs to you, O God. The power and the glory belongs to you forever and ever. Your kingdom is everlasting. Your kingdom is eternal. Put your hands together and start to pray. Come on, somebody, if you don't have words, I want you to repeat this kingdom prayer. If you don't have words, repeat it with understanding. Shepu Kumbahato, Zondo Kumbahato, Shepu Kumbahato, Shepu Kumbahato, Yota Kumbahato, Shepu Kumbahato, Leluta Kumbahato. Come on, somebody, pray, pray, pray. Shepu Kumbahato, Zeto, 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 Yakusha Kumbahato, Kumbahato, Leluto, Zeto, 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 Zeto,
actor. It's a compact, it's a compact reactor. Come on, tell me the pressure. Let God's kingdom establish in this place. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not in your words, but it's in demonstration of power. I prophesy God is power. I prophesy God is glory. Let the kingdom of God established in our family. Shakota Kota Pariato. Shakota Paragosa Kuka Pariato. Yes, Kandusha Kikahato. We do Sakomprekento. We comprehend the creator. We pretend to presentially comprehend. Come on, somebody put your hands together. It's time to pray. Let God's kingdom be established right now. Shakota Paruto Kupa Ato. Zete Kutu Kuka Ato. Jamato Jakuta. Let God to go Yes, his kingdom, his kingdom, his kingdom in our marriage, his kingdom in our life, his kingdom in our business. And I decree and I declare upon every person. 
business. We are not going to be subjected under the auspices of global warming, global recession, global inflation. I prophesy we shall live above and beyond the threshold of man. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, you say it unto Moses, when you are pushing the land, don't give land to the Levites. Why? Because I am in possession. I prophesy, God shall be your possession. And to replace, God shall be your possession. In your family, God shall be your possession. As you enter 2024, whatever snake, whatever the devil is planning against you, it will not come to pass. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, any bit that was done against you, so that you may not wish to quickly December and cross over to the year 2024. Right now, that bit will catch in honor. In the name of Jesus Christ, any form of color that has been set against your life, any damage, any sabotage, any compassion, that is working against your life. As I prophesy, I control by the power of the Holy Ghost. I decree and I decree that forest that is broken right now, and your soul is escaped. Any witch working behind the scenes 24 hours, seven, I prophesy, she and he will not prosper against your life. The mighty name of Jesus Christ, what you could not accomplish in this year 2023, I give you power. I release the blood of God. You shall accomplish. Let God in Jesus' mighty name of prayer. Let the God of Christ shout a glorious amen. God bless you. May the Lord bless you. Amen. May God continue to shower you. I speak the grace of God as you start Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Let the weightiness of God be upon your hands. Let the heaviness be upon your face. Those that hate you when they are going to look at you from today onwards, they will start to smile with you. Those that are plotting against you as you are starting Monday, I prophesy their plots are going to be exposed by the power of in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming to our Sunday service. May the Lord bless you. Amen. Uh, for our prayer uh, and fasting session, we are meeting tomorrow.